Hi, GTA friends. Before we start the show, we just wanted to take a second and thank you for following us on the podcast. If you haven't already had an opportunity, we would really appreciate it if you would rate the show and leave a comment. Also, we invite you to follow us and like us on Facebook and Instagram by searching GTI Tours, all one word. We update several times a week with interesting archaeological finds as well as other fun biblical content. Just another way GTI is working to bring the land and the lessons of the Bible to life. Welcome to the GTI Tours podcast. Join us as we go behind the scenes and discuss with trip leaders, guides, biblical scholars, and more to bring the land and the lessons of the Bible to life. Hello and welcome to the GTI Tours podcast. I will be your host. My name is Rich Ferreira and I am here with my good friend, Matt Davis, who we've already had on this podcast and I liked him so much that we had him, we're going to have him come back again. But really what we're trying to do is, you know, we want to give everybody just, you know, a little bit more of a, a dive into their Bible and understanding culture. And coming up in just a few days is a very, very important time that we like to call Passover. So I thought that it would be really cool to bring in somebody to talk about Passover who I could interview and do with the podcast here and and hopefully help, you know, those of you who are out there understand a little bit more, but bring it from a perspective of somebody who knows Jesus. And if you've listened to the podcast with Matt Davis that we did just recently, a couple of weeks back, uh, you'll know that Matt is a, um, a Jewish believer who believes in Jesus as his Messiah. And Matt and I have had some incredible trips and adventures together. And I'm excited uh, to have him on the show today and to also give you a chance to hear more about some of the things that he's doing uh, in the ministry realm, reaching out to Jewish people, as well as bringing alive our Jewish roots. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rich. It's good to be here. You know, I was just, again, thinking in my head about the crazy times we've had traveling together and and talking about Passover is kind of fun because uh, you and I have been to Egypt together, as we've talked about in the previous podcast. Yeah, I heard you laughing just a little bit as you're talking about that, and that brought back some really fun memories that I can't wait to share, and then some that we will never, ever share. Exactly. Some some are made for podcasts, and some are made to stay in Egypt, and uh, <laughs> this is going to be fun. So let's just kind of dive into it. Passover, it's coming up. It's a big deal in the... Um, in the Jewish world. And I think, you know, as we're going to get a chance to talk about here, it, it's a, it's a pretty big deal as we look at it with the Jewish roots, but how it affects our Christian faith as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, every time you look at one of the Jewish holidays, there is a common theme that runs through it. It's they tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat now. <laughs> and, and, and we do a lot of that now. The, the Passover story is a story that you can kind of tell and you have to look at in three different time periods. And Passover specifically has an overriding theme, and it's really that God delivers the oppressed. Now, I want to just start in the very first piece of time here. Go way back to the book of Exodus and the Exodus out of Egypt. The, the scripture says that there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Now, all this time, Joseph had passed away at the end of the book of Genesis, and now there's a new Pharaoh in town. The, the Israelites have grown to be a multitude of people, and their life is now made hard. They are now slaves in Egypt. And, and the story of the Passover is, is really the story of their exodus. God delivers Israel through these plagues. We all have heard the 10 plagues 
when we were in Egypt, you know, the, the work that they were doing, they were making these bricks, but we, we actually got to go to a family who for generations has been making these mud bricks in Egypt. And I, I joked around that, you know, that the Jews haven't been making bricks in Egypt for 3,500 years. And then I was until back you were it. there. There you go. And it was all different than we have video of it, but that won't ever come out. But everything culminates on this 10th plague. Uh, it's the death of the firstborn, uh, where they set aside a lamb on the 10th of the month of Esau, Nisan, and they watch that lamb. That lamb is scrutinized, and they want to make sure that that lamb is perfect. It has to be a perfect one-year-old sacrifice. And on that 14th day of Nisan, the lamb's life was taken as, as, a, as a substitute, as, as a substitute for the, the family so that they might have life so that when the angel of death comes that they would be passed over. You know, as we as we look at Exodus, you know, it, it kind of gives some overview of of what that first Passover looked like. Uh, but, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, that question is, you know, what was it like during first century, during Jesus's time, since we know that Jesus goes, especially at the very end of uh, end of his life, he goes and he celebrates Passover with his disciples. Yeah, you know, Da Vinci tried to give us a good picture of what that looks like, and and you know, really in in the church world, that that painting in this moment is called the Last Supper, and I think that we have enough separation uh, from that first century culture that we have divorced it from the idea that that Last Supper was really a Passover seder. And so Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They're not sitting up at a table like Da Vinci's painting, but they're reclining. On all other nights, we sit, sit, we sit in chairs and we sit at tables. But on this night, we recline. It's, this is part of the, the night and the community. And, and so Jesus is there somewhere in the old city. Now, if you, if you find the right tourist, uh, then they might tell you that they know where that upper room is. And so you, know, you can go there and enjoy for the that. Right, for the right price, you can go there. That's right. You got to you got to know people like you, Rich. Um, but Jesus gives instructions to the disciples, and he says in the book of Luke, he says, "You will see a man carrying a pitcher." Well, this is not a typical thing. Generally, in that culture during that time, it was the women who were carrying a pitcher. So it wouldn't be hard to find the one guy carrying the pitcher in Jerusalem during this time. And Jesus, a few verses later, Luke twenty two fifteen. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. And this is not his first Passover meal with his disciples. They've been doing ministry for the last couple of years. So there was at least a couple others. And so he says, this one, this one is important. Something is going to happen. So, you know, kind of branching a little bit off the New Testament right there. What does Passover look like for Jewish people today? And how is that different for you, though, being a Messianic Jew? Yeah, you know, today if you're going to a typical Orthodox Passover Seder, uh, it's it's a little bit like jury duty. You're in for the long haul. It's it's a good five to six hours. It's all in Hebrew. And I remember even as a kid uh, growing up and just, you know, you realize that you were passed out either from the four glasses of wine that you snuck somehow or just from the time. But uh, you're recounting the story. You, you sit there with a, a small booklet. It's called uh, the Haggadah, and that is the story. And you know, this is a Passover Seder. It's the meal. This, the word Seder, everyone always says Seder. It's Seder. Uh, it, it means order. There's an order to the telling of this story. And there's different parts where we're recounting these, these different aspects. And what we do specifically in, in a messianic context is that we are restoring or bringing Jesus back into this story, just like he was doing that with his disciples 
in the upper room. And so oftentimes this is a different night and the kids are sitting around and they're asking questions, lots of questions, which is always the trigger for the story that needs to be told. And oftentimes in Jewish families, the, the answer to those questions are generally threefold. Number one, you know, so dad, why are we doing this? Well, number one, it's tradition. Number two, it's, I don't know. Or number three, shut it. You're asking too many questions. <laughs> but overall, uh, you know, Jews, whether they're Orthodox today or Messianic, this season is called the season of our deliverance. This is the feast of freedom. And that's how we remember it today. You know, I've had a, I've had the option, or the, I guess you say, the opportunity to to go to a couple of seders, um, one of them in Israel, and it was really, one, it was eye opening. Two, it felt like a really cool moment that that I was invited into it. But there was a lot going on, and what one of the things I loved about the seder were all the symbols, all all of these things that were discussed or shared or used as visuals, and that that really brought it to life, but you know, you kind of got to explain all of that. So can you, yeah, can you walk us through what some of those are? Yeah, what I love about a lot of the holidays, but especially you know, as a dad, we have three kids. Uh, there's there's symbols, and and the symbols teach, and they still speak today. Um, so you have various symbols in the story. One that is central to the whole story is the lamb, right? And so you go back to the Old Testament, which we call Act One. Uh, you have this lamb, it's set aside. I told you on the 10th of Nisan, they watch it. And on the 14th, the, the lamb's blood is shed. And then you go back to the New Testament, which we call Act 2. And all the way in the beginning of the Gospel of John, John one twenty nine, John looks out and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's this connection, this bridge. It's a hyperlink from that New Testament passage what's this lamb of God? And, and he's recounting and saying, look, that lamb that happened, that, that took the place for the sin, and we continue through this sacrificial atonement system, uh, Jesus is coming to actually fulfill something here. And you, again, you have Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not open his mouth. So all of this is a picture. The lamb is this beautiful Passover symbol. You know, when you say that John passage of like, behold, the Lamb of God, I just get chills as you say that because, you know, it it connects so well to what Jesus is going to do here is that he will be the Lamb. And, oh, man, like there's so much symbolism. Now, now one of the ones, like I, I'm in Israel a lot previous to, to Passover and um, weeks before it feels like, you know, all of a sudden this thing called matzah comes out. It's this like saltine crackery thing that I call it. And, and the bread is gone. The matzah comes out and all over like the streets of Jerusalem, there are signs that say Pesach and, you know, Passover cleaning is, is beginning to happen. And even to the, to the point where like in the hotels we're in, like they'll shut down their, their, uh, kitchens and move us to another place so they can, can prep them. What's going on? Well, first of all, you call it saltines. We call it manna from heaven. It's, <laughs> I'm it's sorry. Amazing. I'm sorry. No, uh, unfortunately, of all the great parts about being Jewish, our, our food is not necessarily one of them. Uh, but, you know, there are these these signs that come out. We The Jewish people are, are the originators of 
the spring cleaning. And so oh. what is happening here? Uh, let me give you a couple things. Number one is that families are actually cleaning out their homes, but it's not just the dusting and, you know, got to get the bathrooms and stuff. But this is a cleaning out of the house, a search for the leaven. Now, First Corinthians would later talk about it. it says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. There's even again, you have this hyperlink from the New Testament to the Old Testament, but leaven in scripture is symbolic with sin. It's a, it's a symbol of sin. And so even the Jews today, so they move you into a different room, you know, really Orthodox, like pious Jewish people, um, they're going to have their dairy plates or their dairy utensils, and then they're going to have their meat ones, right? So you, you separate the one thing you always want in in Israel when you're there is a bacon double cheeseburger, and it's the one mm. thing you could never get, right? Now, they have a whole separate – if you are ultra-Orthodox, you're not going to have just two sets of plates to keep the dairy and the meat, and that's a whole other conversation. But they'll have another two sets, so actually four sets that where you don't ever have the leaven, the the, the bread, the yeast that, that comes through. And it's that yeast that infiltrates the whole thing. So that – that matzah is just another symbol. So when I was a kid, we would clean out the house. It would be spring cleaning and we'd get out all the leaven. So we were either throwing it away or we were shoving Lucky Charms down our throats, right? It was- Oh man, like the was, donuts are done, the Twinkies <laughs> yeah, are right. done. Yeah, it, it's all going to go away tomorrow and it's going to be you know eight nights of matzah with peanut butter and jelly, right? Like how many different you know combinations can we come up with? Can you Can you put like Nutella on it? Absolutely. Nutella, okay, Nutella is always kosher. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have to get rid of all of that because we are, we are cleansing out the leaven. So it, it does a couple things. Number one, it, that matzah is called the bread of affliction. It reminds us that as the Jewish people made their way out of Egypt, that the, they didn't have time. They had to make haste. They didn't have time to let the bread rise, that yeast to infiltrate. So the bread literally baked on their backs as they were going out. And so it's a reminder. But then Jesus in Act 2 in the New Testament, he, he holds the bread and he says, this is my body. And it's a picture. And this is why like when we go to church, like I don't want as much as I love the Hawaiians and their contribution to bread, the Hawaiian rolls are the best, right? Oh, they are good. But we can't, we can't do that for communion because that matzah, that cracker, is, is a picture of Jesus. It, if you look, it has holes in it um, because it's been baked in the oven. It has stripes. It harkens back to Isaiah 53 by his stripes. But it's also flat because it has no leaven. Jesus had no sin. So Jesus is sitting there with his disciples at this Passover meal. Matthew 26, it says, after dinner, after the Passover meal, it says he took the bread and he blessed it. And, and all of Matthew's readers, are there, he's writing to the Jewish people when it says that he blessed it. Jesus pronounces this blessing, and it's, it's centuries old. It's millennia old. He says, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melcha olam ha-motzi lechem min ha-aretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus, who was born in this place called Bethlehem or Beit Lechem, the house of bread, is literally coming and he's taking this bread and he's blessing it with this ancient blessing that says that God will bring forth bread from the earth. It's picturing his resurrection. You know, and in in the show notes, we'll put a we'll put a picture of some matzah and a couple other of these symbols that Matt's talking about because yeah, it is. 
so striking, you know, of exactly what you're just saying in the symbolism of what it meant and then what Jesus does with it. Now, all right, I've been around, you know, Jewish friends for a long time and wine is always a big part of whether it's Shabbat with Sabbath or a wedding or anything else that seems like a celebration in, in Jewish culture. Uh, what's it play for? What's, what's the, how's it play out here in, in Passover? Because I know, you know, you do have wine. You, like you said, four cups worth. Yeah, each cup is symbolic of something. And again, it's part of the, the Haggadah, the telling or the story. So the first cup comes very in the very beginning of the Seder, and it's the cup of sanctification. This night is set apart. The second cup is called the cup of plagues. And you know we say that a full cup is symbolic of a cup of joy. And so even in that second cup, we have to diminish our joy because there were those who died. The Egyptians died as a result of the the salvation of the Israelites as they're as they're coming out. So we diminish our joy during this cup of plagues. And so since Jewish mothers would have a fit if we actually tried to pour out some wine on the nice tablecloth, we actually dip our our pinky into the wine and we put a dab. Uh, and this is Jews uh, worldwide um, dip their pinky in and they put drops and every drop we put on the napkin next to us, um, we, we say one of the plagues and our joy is diminished because others lost their lives as a result of our salvation. Now that third cup is the cup of redemption. And that's the cup that when we take communion, we are taking the cup of redemption. That's the cup that it says, again, it was after dinner, after the meal. And Jesus says, I will not drink this cup again with you until we are united once again. Um, so Jesus doesn't drink that third cup of redemption. In fact, what he is, is he becomes that third cup of redemption. And what he does is he actually drinks in the cup of God's wrath. And Old Testament talks all throughout this, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, that the, the wrath of God will be poured out like a cup. And so Jesus takes on the wrath of God for our redemption. And finally, the last cup is the cup of praise. When we were in Egypt, I remember just sitting together and, and we were just having some great conversations. And, you know, one of those kind of statements that that uh, that you said that really you know, kind of stuck with me was, you know, that it was it was easy for God to get his people out of Egypt, but it was hard to get Egypt out of his people. and you know, this story just seems like it kind of plays into that. You know, how does this carry out into the rest of the story of getting, you know, of getting Egypt out of his people? Yeah, you know, that's that's still our story today. You know, a, a major biblical theme is that God cares for and he delivers the oppressed. Uh, and he tries to remind his people all throughout scripture. Exodus 19, it says, verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There is this pattern of God's deliverance through water or deathly imagery and coming out the other side into new life. Um, you know, this this scene just takes place over and over. If you have eyes to see it, if you can look through this lens of, of looking at this death to life narrative that is showing up in scripture, um, you get this with Noah, that Noah and his family, like they are put in this ark that Noah builds and they go through the waters of death and they emerge and there's life. Um, but even Moses in Exodus chapter two, the very beginning of his story, when, when Pharaoh is saying, we're going to destroy all of the, the baby Israelites, we're going to drown them in the deathly waters of the Nile, right? 
It says, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him. This is Moses' mother. And it says, she coated it with tar and pitch. It's this harken back to you know, what, what did Noah cover the ark with was tar and pitch and, and places the child in this, in this basket, which is another ark, right? It's, it's this boat of, of salvation, essentially, and in the reeds of the bank of the Nile. And so this, this baptism of, of salvation, uh, even going for the Israelites as they are passing through that Red Sea, um, they are going through, and that story is being played out. Uh, and, and that is our story today, that God is still delivering us. One of my favorite passages that describes this is not from the book of Exodus, but it's from the book of Psalms. And it, in Psalm 77, verse 16, it says, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world, if you can imagine what that's like. And the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Your footprints were not seen. You led your flock your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And that shepherd who would become a lamb and then shepherd them out of their sins, that is the same story that we are trying to tell people, that God has come in the form of man who we know as Yeshua or Jesus to deliver us from the oppression of our sin so that we would be free. Just a saying in English that says like a picture speaks a thousand words. And the more the more that i dig into the old testament and i and i hear like as you're talking here matt is like these pictures they're they're so rich and vibrant to the time of when they happened but they really seem to to carry into you know the world we live in today and in I just love this this idea that you keep saying of god cares for and delivers the oppressed you know and and then jesus comes and he does the same thing. I mean, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus is this concept, you know, of coming to a world that needs him in delivering the the oppressed. And, you know, I just can't, I just can't help but take all these things you're saying right now and and just feel like there's huge implications right now with Passover um, happening, but just the current situation of the world that we live in today. We have to just remember in times like this that that God is faithful. And he cares when we suffer. And I think we've all been through and, and are still going through a, a period of turmoil and, and strife like our world has not seen before. And so God is a God who acts on behalf of the hurting, on behalf of the oppressed. And so you have this, this line that the, the lives of the Israelites were, were made bitter with forced labor. Right, it says uh, there was labor in the brick and the mortar with all kinds of work, uh, and and the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Well, what's what's the response? It says that the Israelites they groaned in their slavery, they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery it went up to God. Well, what does a benevolent and good God do with that? Well, it says that God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. You know, in the Seder, I've had a chance to do a couple of Seders with, uh, with college students when I worked at Hume Lake Christian Camps, the Joshua Institute. And, you know, on the Seder plate, there's, there's all these symbols and we're talking about some of them. And, 
And uh, one of those symbols uh, is horseradish, but but I wouldn't tell the group about that that horseradish was there. They just thought it was some part that they had to partake in. You're a good man. And, I, <laughs> and one of my students, I remember I had to, I had to change this up because he, he took the horseradish um, on a little piece of matzah, put it in his mouth and he passed out. Oh, so no. Garrett Rizzi, if you're listening right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but he passed out and we had to call like the EMTs to come help us out that night. But, oh, no. but you do have these symbols like horseradish and you have like the salt water and, and it seems like the connection there brings it back to some, to bitterness and, and, and some reminders. I mean, can you, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, there, there's not a Jew alive that hasn't been tricked by a crazy uncle saying, Hey, try some of this. It's good. Uh, and we, at, at our Seders, we serve what we call atomic horseradish. It's actually a brand. Go get some of that. And you'll, you'll thank me later. But the purpose of it, uh, when you're when you're taking the horseradish in particular, is it's supposed to do two things. Number one is it's going to clear your sinuses. So any any issue you have, just take some horseradish, you'll be fine. But the second thing is it's supposed to bring tears to your eyes. Uh, and when you have the tears, the tears from the horseradish, but even the salt water, um, that it's supposed to remind us of the tears that were spent in Egypt. And I have to think that with a year like this. That, that God still sees our tears and God still hears our cries and he is a God that wants to move towards us and he wants to deliver us still. And such a great just spiritual connection there and, and reminder. And I don't mean to like get too far off the uh, the trail here, but do people really eat horseradish for any real reason? I, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering. <laughs> you know, I, I, there's a lot of things. I mean, horseradish is not the worst of all of our our culinary sins in the Jewish world. I, mean, I, I actually like it with a good prime rib. But the one like food that I just can't get over, especially at Passover, is gefilte fish. Have you had gefilte fish, Rich? I have not. I've only heard it from my Jewish friends as the filthy fish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It, I mean, the, here's the description of gefilte fish. It's literally congealed carp. Congealed carp. Oh, Think about that. Like, do you ever want to eat anything congealed? And, and it's carp. It's, it is. It's a bottom feeder. It's nasty. It's, it's awful. So there you go. Gefilte fish and horseradish. And, and then my dad eats those two together, by the way. <laughs> well, pulling this kind of back to a more... Um, I don't know, a, a different spot. You know, we'll, we'll leave the horseradish uh, discussion, but <laughs> y- you know, Matt, I just, I've noticed, you know, a, a lot over this year um, that God's just doing new things. And you and I have had some great conversations about, you know, where God's working and what's going on. And, and, you know, I was just, I was encouraged, um, you know, probably a couple months ago, just chatting with you and, and just hearing about your heart and what you were feeling God was leading you to. Uh, why don't you kind of like share a little bit about, you know, just with the Jewish context and the backgrounds and our Jewish history and, and roots and all of that, like what, where's God got you these days? Yeah, we're doing something new and uh, there, there's a word in Yiddish, it's meshugana. It means crazy. We've gone a little crazy. Uh, maybe it's all the cabin fever, but uh, my dad and I are starting a nonprofit and it's called The Jewish Road. And we feel inspired. And, you know, my, my dad has been at it. He's been a Messianic Jew his entire life. You, you spend five minutes with him, and eventually he's going to talk about something Jewish or end times because that's just what he lives and breathes. Uh, but, you know, you've heard 
the the path to salvation in the New Testament, the New Covenant, is uh, through the Roman road. And you know, you go through Romans three twenty three for all of sin. Romans six twenty three. Mm-hmm. You go through that whole thing. If you were to take a Jew down the Roman road, it would end with a dead end. Uh, they don't want to yeah. hear from the New Testament. Um, what they would say is, I, I want to hear from my book, the Old Testament. Uh, and and we, we find that there's this gap. Uh, there we, The gap is between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. The gap is between the church and the synagogue. The gap is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we have come up with this picture. And it's like the Jewish people bought tickets to a two-act play. They showed up for the first act and they left at intermission. Meanwhile, the Christians bought tickets to the same two-act play, got there at intermission, showed up a little late, watched the second act, and then went home. And somewhere in the middle of it all, they passed each other in the lobby during intermission and never saw each other again. And we start to ask this question, what would it be like to tell the other half of the story to each group and fill in the gaps? So we started this nonprofit called The Jewish Road. And what we're trying to do is help Christians make sense of their roots, their Jewish roots, so Jews can make sense of Jesus. And the salvation to the Jews is going to come through the Jewish road. And we are equipping the church to be able to share the gospel with Jewish people through Old Testament passages. And there's a ton of them, Ecclesiastes 7, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. But we want to equip the church so that the Jewish people would come to faith in him. You know, and I, I think anyone who's had the opportunity, you know, to go on a GTI tour and and get over to to Israel realizes really quickly that we are that we as Christians are grafted into the storyline, into the promise, into all these things of the Jewish people. And and like for me, I I always wanted to know more. It's like the more I understand about my Jewish, like the Jewish backgrounds and the culture and the Jewish faith, like the more I understand about my own, you know, Jesus was not a blonde haired, blue eyed um, person, which I saw so often in all the photos, like the, you know, the pictures of him or the drawings, but he was Jewish. He grew up in a culture that was Jewish. He was Jewish through and through. And I love what you guys are doing because, you know, even for me, like it's helped me connect an understanding, um, of the Jesus I see in the new Testament, uh, because I have to also connect it with the roots of the old Testament. And this is important. I, like, I, I just, I'm grinning ear to ear right now, thinking about this ministry that you're going to have or that you're having. And uh, just the opportunity for all of us to, to understand God and his plan even deeper. So man, that's exciting. And then, and then you're 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 Meshuggah enough, you're crazy enough that like <laughs> on top of all of that, uh, you you've started a podcast. I mean, like you're you guys are putting out a ton of content, you know that you're that you're working on. So, you know, tell us about the podcast. Yeah, well, it'll be the Jewish Road, and uh, you'll be able to you know access it on all the different things. But you know, I, I realized. You know, my, my mom passed away almost two decades ago, and one of the things that I, I try to remember constantly is what her voice sounded like. And you know, over time, you start to forget. And I, my my dad, this is just a great picture of who he is. Uh, I actually, uh, my office is in their home. They have this massive home here in Lexington, Kentucky. And and so he comes out of his office and he says, "You know, I'm 72 years old." He said, "If I live till 80, 
I'm 90% of the way there. <laughs> just, and he's a little bit doomsday with some of that stuff, but it's kind of sweet and cute. But, you know, he is a wealth of information and knowledge and it's just there. And he, he's needed a place to get it out. And I, I want to capture his voice. I want to capture his knowledge and wisdom. And I want my kids to know, my grandkids to know and for generations. But, but I think we have something important to say. And so we're Jews talking about Jesus, which actually sounds crazy. Why would Jews be talking about Jesus? And we want to use this time to be able to ask the question, well, why aren't Jews talking about Jesus? And how do we bridge the gap to help Christians make sense of their roots and to really have the fullness of faith that Jesus intended? So that's what we're going to be doing. So where, where can they go to find these resources? Where can they go to follow? Because this is going to be it's going to be a fun journey. I, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, we set up a website. You can get it at thejewishroad.com and we'll have updates and things are just beginning. We're actually launching this Passover. And so it's all coming up and uh, you can check out all the fun things that we got going there. Well, Matt, I appreciate that. And as we kind of finish off here, it, you know, I, I love how you brought us through the Seder kind of really quickly about Passover and there, there's so much richness there and there's so many more resources that people could probably dive into if they want to know more about it. And I'd say, first of all, check out Matt's website, um, shoot him an email and, you know, even like, I know speaking engagements of you coming out and teaching and, and helping people understand these things um, is something that is your passion, your heart. What, what can you leave us with just kind of with, uh, with Passover and, and uh, maybe something, something Hebrew, you know, that we can walk away with. <laughs> well, I think maybe a good place to end is the ending. Um, you know, there's one line that comes at the end of every Passover Seder. It's at the end of every Haggadah. And I think, you know, especially for you and I, Rich, that want to go to Israel as much as we possibly can. And this has been a year of cabin fever and we feel stuck and just get me on a plane and get me to the Holy Land already. Uh, there's a line uh, that, that we all say, and it's Lashana Haba'ah B'Yerushalayim next year in Jerusalem. And can't wait to do that again with GTI soon. Can't wait to do Passover in the Holy Land. Oh, so good. Well, Matt, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for just sharing with us again, your passion as a Jewish believer in the Messiah Jesus. And friends, I hope that you, I hope you were encouraged. I hope that uh, this helps you dive into the text a little bit more and that you'll, you'll dive into the Jewish roots and Matt, we'll just be thinking and praying for you and your ministry and are just Thank grateful you. for what you guys are doing. So until the next podcast, my friends, I hope that you will have a great day, that you'll join us again as we try to bring the land and the lessons of the Bible to life. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. For more information on upcoming GTI study tours, please find us on the web at www.gtitours.org. Hey everyone, Rich here, and I want to take a chance to invite you to join us on our Israel and Jordan Signature Tour, September 25th to October 7th of 2021. Our Signature Tours are a great way to bring the land and the lessons of the Bible to life. We've taken everything we've learned over the last 25 years and we've pulled it together to give you an experience that will bring the Bible alive 
A GTI Signature Tour creates a unique context in which you can see scripture in a new light while enjoying the rich joys of international travel with like-minded community. This study will be led by Randy Alonzo, who's been in ministry for over 30 years. He's been to the land over 30 times and holds a Doctorate of Divinity from Masters International University. This itinerary has been strategically chosen to bring the land and the lessons of the Bible to life. Your journey begins in Jordan at Mount Nebo, where Moses had a chance to look into the Promised Land. You'll get a chance to go to the world-famous site of Petra and make your way down into the desert of Wadi Rum to experience Bedouin living and what it might have been like to be one of the children of Israel out in the desert for 40 years. Making your way into Israel will stop at the Tabernacle Replica and journey our way to the Dead Sea, seeing sites like Masada and Gedi, Qumran, and up into the Galilee where Jesus performed majority of his miracles and teachings. Randy will help unpack scripture as you study in places like Capernaum, which is the hometown of Jesus, the place of the Mount of Beatitudes, Caesarea Philippi, with the statement made out of Matthew of who do people say that I am. The trip will conclude with a visit to the many sites in Jerusalem as the Old and New Testament wrap together in the person of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. We invite you to join us on this signature study tour. For more information and to see a full itinerary of the trip, go to gtitours.org slash podcast and make sure you look for the Jordan Israel Signature Tour.